Well, good morning, Ozark. It's a beautiful day. It's a little crispy, but it's beautiful. I had a birthday uh, recently. Stop, just stop. No, actually, 67 circuits around the sun. Um, I just, you know, my subject today is wisdom. Her name is Sophia, by the way. My subject is wisdom, and 67 times around the sun, you get planet lag. It's what makes us sleepy when we get old, but that's terrible. One thing I have found, though, that in my short time on earth is that I think it's universally true, women are wiser than men. Um, I saw another, I saw a picture, and Carol sent me a, hey, did you see this, honey, out at Spring River, <laughs> which, well, anyway, out at Spring River, there was a picture, four of our sisters are arriving at the age of 105, uh, one of them right around Christmas, our own Gail Boatman, former President Donald Boatman's uh, wife, 105. Well, guys, it's like this. Out of the top 49 oldest people alive today, only two of them are men. And some might say that's just coincidence, but I think scientific research actually suggests otherwise. So I've got some evidence for you here if you want to show that, Spencer. Uh, there are reasons why we can believe that uh, women do live longer than men. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of you are aware of some of this as well. But uh, let's run through some of these uh, Images, if we could, you know. Uh, <laughs> Carol sent Carol sent me some of these pictures a while back. I really don't know why, but uh, the images uh, often involve ladders, as you'll see here. Uh, yeah, the chances of you living a long time—that looks like in the dorm. I'm not sure. They are using a ladder. <laughs> yeah. You know, they used to say that. <laughs> okay, I took out the ones I was sure were photoshopped, but uh, the uh, they say it used, the reason was well, obviously men, you know, work and stuff falls on them, I guess, or you know, they don't live as long, and women at home have a lot easier life. Yeah, women living longer than men. Um, Wisdom, her name is Sophia. And uh, we do find out about wisdom in many ways. Unfortunately, the most common way I've found out about wisdom is through adversity. And I've got something I need to say to you here from the stage because I'm speaking on the part of several other people. Uh, over the Christmas break, uh, three of your professors went to the doctor and heard the words, you have cancer. It was myself, uh, Dave Fish, and Gerald Griffin. I think you know this, most of you do. Uh, the cancer that we're dealing with is treatable and the prognosis is good. Also, President Proctor's dad heard the same news around the same time. Um, our brother Dave Fish is gonna be in surgery this time in two weeks, right now, in two weeks from now, up at KU Medical Center. I do ask you remember him in prayer, but more than anything, I just simply ask that you help us all to um, look to the Lord and to know his wisdom. I feel fine, really. Somebody said, you know that's a death sentence, cancer. I said, you do know we all live under a death sentence. 
<laughs> and some of us get to go home from school early. <laughs> so, speaking of wisdom, um, we've heard from Damien, we've heard from Shane, uh, incredible messages. Scripture says so much about wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God in Ephesians, the, the wisdom of the world compared to the wisdom of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2, the hidden treasures of wisdom in Colossians. Oh my goodness, there's so much there. This morning we're going to turn to James chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 18 for just a few minutes and think about wisdom together. So read with me if you would. Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, let them show it by their, good, by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Notice that. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, so-called, does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Ah, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. Will you pray with me? Lord, uh, I pray that... Uh, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. Help me and all of us together to see you clearly, to have our eyes above and not below. And I ask this Jesus in your name. Amen. Her name is Sophia. His name is James. He was known as James the Just, um, and he spells it out quite clearly here. We've actually met her before, Sophia, at least a thousand years before James, and we say wisdom, but scripture, I think, especially in the book of Proverbs, seems to be quite clear on gender. G James tells us, walking with Sophia, first of all, you need to discern wisdom's source. The book of James is actually called the New Testament version of wisdom literature, and those he wrote to who are Jewish Christians for the most part would have heard that well, being quite familiar with the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And James is making it quite clear in his opening statements in this particular section that there are really only two choices when it comes to wisdom. I said something there, I hope you're listening, there are only two choices when it comes to wisdom, not three, not five, not ten, two. There's upward wisdom, there is downward wisdom. The wisdom that comes from the earth is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. And earthly, the NIV correctly puts wisdom there in uh, quote marks, but the earthly wisdom simply means without any thought whatsoever being given to the outside context beyond right here, what is in front of me. Earthly wisdom eliminates the divine from the beginning. And tragically, most dimensions of human philosophy, and ironically the word philosophy literally means love of wisdom, most human philosophy immediately strikes God from the equation and relegates faith to the dumpster of irrelevance. The second one, unspiritual, eliminates the spirit world, and that is, to, so to speak, like there can't be anything beyond what I can see and feel. Everything is purely earthly. 
There are no spiritual aspects to these actions. And the third one, which really shows the hand that is behind all of this, is demonic. And there is a downward progression of these three. Now, some have taken these three words and turned it into the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that's interesting. But actually, I think it has more to do with what it looks like for us as Christians as we consider what wisdom is and its sources. You have learned, I hope, that the Father lets you play, whereas the enemy plays you. People try to turn that around. Oh, how they try to turn that around. I also hope that you've learned that the true source of earthly wisdom, the devil, has absolutely no interest in your welfare whatsoever. Whether you recognize him or not, if you follow earthly wisdom, ultimately you have a king that instead of inviting you to the feast of heaven, he will eat you for dinner. His freedom is slavery, his charms are chains, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. It's about upward or downward. Where, Christian, where will you put your eyes? In the opening scene of a movie that deeply moves me when I watch it, Les Mis, in that opening scene, the song that is sung by the prisoners is haunting. Look down, look down, you're standing in your grave. I'm not going to play the music right now, but they sing this as they trudge forward, pulling an enormous ship up out of the ocean. And it's an endless, seemingly pointless, excruciating labor. And in that song, one poor soul looks upward for a moment, and as he does, he sings out, look down, look down, sweet Jesus, hear my prayer, asking Jesus to look down on him. In order for him to say that, he is looking up. When another prisoner hears that prayer, he immediately responds, look down, look down, sweet Jesus doesn't care. Don't look up, nothing to see. Look down, because that's what is real. That, friend, is earthly wisdom. So where do you put your eyes, Christian? You do know James is writing to believers. Listen to me carefully here. When the wisdom you follow primarily involves a pursuit of power, a pursuit of, of position, a pursuit of privilege, a pursuit of prestige, there is great danger present for you are looking down. One of my favorite writers, A.W. Tozer, wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. He said it like this, most of us go through this life praying a little, planning a little, jockeying for position, hoping but never quite certain of anything, always secretly afraid that we'll miss the way. This is a tragic waste of truth and never gives rest to the heart. There is a better way. It is to repudiate our own wisdom and take instead the infinite wisdom of God. God has charged himself. Are you listening to what I'm saying here? God has charged himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness. And he stands ready to take over the management of our lives in the moment that we turn in faith to him. This is true not only at the beginning. This is true day by day. Walking with Sophia discerning the source of wisdom. Walking with Sophia also means listening to wisdom's voice. In the second part of our text here, James is challenging us to listen for her voice. We've heard her before. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. 
In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. She's everywhere. How long, O simple ones, will you, be, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Oh, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. That's a thousand years before Pentecost. Wisdom is offering to pour the spirit of God on those that will look up. This is the true wisdom that is from above, and it is freely available now as it was then. She is saying things that you won't hear anyone else say when you walk with Sophia. She is saying, and there they are in the text, be pure, be peaceable, be gentle, be open to reason, be full of mercy, be full of good fruits, be impartial, be sincere. She's telling you to do things that no one else will tell you to do except by looking up. Be pure. Yeah, it starts there, doesn't it? It's not by accident that purity heads the list. And I know it encompasses a much broader spectrum than simply sexual purity, but it always includes that. Be pure. If you wonder whether or not sexual purity is an important subject, I'd invite you to read uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Romans, Corinthians, Matthew, and several other books. If wisdom is what you truly desired, you will make no provision for the flesh. She says, be peaceable, not given to conflict. God's word is peaceable to everyone who accepts it. Those who follow earthly wisdom are only in it for themselves and care nothing about God. And so how can they find peace there? Be gentle, strength even with great strength, but under control, submitted to a master. This is not the facilitation, gentleness is not the facilitation of bad behavior. It is being strong enough to say no. This word is often looked down upon in ancient times as it is today, but it is the words of Sophia. Be open to reason, be full of mercy, be full of good fruit, be impartial, be sent. Please hear me this morning. She is calling to you, hear her voice. She sounds a lot like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. She sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul when he is listing the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. She is painting a portrait of Jesus himself that she wants to paint in you. Every one of these descriptors are relational, you know. Every single one of them is a choice you will make about given situations that you are faced with specific people. I said something, I want to repeat it. Every one of, this is not some, oh gee, who can be like that? Nobody. So what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wisdom doesn't understand that like what she's asking you to do is something you can actually do. God is not a sadist. He doesn't set you up for failure. He says, do this, be like this, imitate me. Every one of these descriptors is relational. The Lord is asking you to make a choice about how you choose to love other people. And he's not asking you to do something you can't do. Hear the voice of wisdom. And then walking with Sophia means acting on wisdom's choice. James was writing to Jewish Christians and particularly the many thousands of believers that he referenced in Acts 21 when he was telling the Apostle Paul who showed up and said, you see all these tens of thousands of believers, myriads, he says, that are here in Jerusalem. 
And even though he's writing in Greek here, many of his readers would know the Hebrew word for wisdom and we'd be thinking about that, I believe. Biblically speaking, wisdom goes beyond knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is not even just understanding. Wisdom has to do with using sound judgment based on that input so as to pursue a proper course of action. What you choose to do with wisdom. Wisdom is not wisdom until you act on it. The Hebrew term itself speaks of various skills and abilities like skill in spinning. It uses the word wisdom. Skill in tailoring, engraving, embroidering, goldsmithing, solving riddles, military strategists, statesmen, architects, sailors, it all uses the same word related to wisdom. And James is saying here, do not be passive, listen to wisdom. She is telling you to act. Ozark, listen, if you're listening to wisdom and you think, uh, what? Um, it's converting itself into earthly wisdom because you don't do anything with it. Being passive, foolish choices will cause you problems, but passivity will kill you. All of the things she is staying, saying here requires action on our part. I have, to, I have to do something here. I have to move. I have to act. The book of James has 108 verses. And in one, those 108 verses, there are 50 imperatives. James is like insisting. He's saying, you need to do something here. What will I do with what I know? So some of you come to me sometimes and you say, <laughs> Brother, well, here I am down here in the ditch. And I say, uh, that's not good. <laughs> A lot of dog poop down that ditch. You smell funny. What do I do? I go, are you serious? Get out of the ditch. I mean, for starters. Okay, that was Shane's sermon last week. Get out of the ditch, you know. Get up. Get out of the ditch. Come up here on the road with me. See that light in the distance? See that light in the distance? <laughs> That's where I'm going. You want to go there? Let's go. Come on. Get up. On. Will you get up? Get up and follow Jesus, man. That's where we're going. Get up, Christian, and walk in wisdom. This isn't just sitting around thinking about stuff. This is moving our feet. This is acting on what we know. This is doing what wisdom will make us do. We follow a Savior who always says, arise and walk. <laughs> yeah, he says, get up and move. Get up, little girl, Talitha. Go help your mom. She's got stuff for you to do. Get up, Lazarus, and walk home we're going to eat together. Get up, Peter. Feed my sheep. Get up, Saul. I'm sending you far away to the Gentiles. Yeah, yeah, I know about Stephen. He's actually here with me. <laughs> and he's cheering you on. Get up. Let's go. So in case you're wondering about the DT, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, pesticide. It's a dominant thought. The dominant thought of my message, if you take something home, it is this. True wisdom calls you to act. Wisdom becomes wisdom when you act, when you choose, when you speak, when you do. And so it is that wisdom comes down to decisions. 
How many other times have I gotten a text or an email and after a few pleasantries says something to the effect, um, I'm needing some wisdom and I understand that. And the trick about all of this though is oftentimes we think of wisdom as something we need on special occasions. That's why we go and seek it then and that's not bad, but we need to walk in it day by day. I don't think there are any big decisions in life. There are just a huge series of small decisions. Small decisions around which our entire life revolves. And sometimes what we call a big decision just simply makes us take inventory of what really does matter and the small decisions I've been making all along the way. So here's the deal, guys. It all comes down to making decisions and acting. Bishop, Bishop Bienvenue had a decision to make as he looked down on the wretched man that lay on the floor in front of him. And this decision that now fell upon him was a result of another decision he'd made about bringing this criminal into his home and feeding him and giving him a place to sleep. That night, that same man had arisen and had taken the most valuable things he could lay his hands on and carried them away. He did not get far before the police found him with those suspicious items that they quickly recognized as belonging to the bishop. And now Jean Valjean lay at the bishop's feet. And the bishop had a decision to make. How will he respond? What will his decision be? How will he act to demonstrate the wisdom that comes down from above? Let's watch and see. For you are weary And the night is cold out here Though our lives are very humble What we have, we have to share There is wine here to revive you There is bread to make you strong a bed to rest till morning, rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. 
Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. Ooh. <laughs> Victor Hugo, in writing the story of Les Miserables, captures an incredible imagery, the difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that comes down from above. Walking in wisdom, Christian, means decide. Walking in wisdom means act. Walking in wisdom means fear not. Walking in wisdom means saying no to being passive. Walking in wisdom, what will you do? What will you do? Are you listening to the voice of Sophia? Are you listening to the voice of wisdom? What will you do? As for me, I know three things to do. Kindness shown to someone that will never know it's me. Taking something I treasure and giving it away, like the bishop did. Denying myself food so that I can give time to God. What will you do with the wisdom that comes from above? Let's pray.